rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. As always, this is Bob Hutchins, and sitting across the silver table today is a friend uh, who you may have heard on the podcast before. Jamal Javanji is actually with me in, in Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Welcome, Jamal. Thank you. It's an honor to be back on the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as we were talking earlier, um, this is your old stomping grounds. I know you lived in the area for a while, several years ago, so... Um, Sort of homecoming, but sort of not, right? <laughs> totally, totally. I feel like when I lived here before, it was <clears throat> I completely. I was in a completely different uh, realm. <laughs> yeah, and so it's uh, coming back. It feels very new. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're going to talk about different realms today. Well, on our last podcast, you had just released your book, and um, some of our listeners may know you from the Heretic Happy Hour. Uh, from the Love Cast, from your book, Living for a Living. Um, and so we'll talk about some of those things today. But one of the things that, that you're doing and has been on your mind uh, this past year, uh, you've got a Facebook group, uh, which I'm a part of and I participate in uh, as much as I can, um, which I've been really enjoying. Why don't you tell listeners what that is? What's the name of it? Yeah, um, earlier this year, uh, you know, as I was thinking about 2020 and I'm uh, something that's been a passion of mine, and this kind of does go on the tail end of the book, Living for a Living, because mm-hmm. um, the, the essence of the book is to really help folks transition from mm-hmm. an economy of survival to really an economy of service and love. And so, but one of the things that really, uh, I feel like, afflicts a lot of us because of our conditioning and the society that we live in and the world, world we live in is this thing what I call the, the poverty mindset. Mm-hmm. And my belief is that that's what perpetuates a lot of the problems that we see just keep getting recycled in the world. It's, it all starts with consciousness mm-hmm. and mindset. And so poverty, I'm convinced, and I'm not just talking about financial poverty because a lot of people just go to money, but poverty, there's many different um, expressions of it, but it's all rooted at a distortion at the consciousness level. So I have a Facebook group that we're really tackling that, that, that we're kind of unpacking this little by little. And so I do like live teachings in mm. there uh, once a week and we just have a dialogue and talk about, let's uh, start dismantling some of the pillars that hold this mindset up. Mm. You know, I think a lot of us ha- have been brought up in a situation, especially just being Americans who were brought up in the United States. And I know it's universal. Um, you know, depending on where and how we were, we were brought up, um, I think we we definitely have this attitude. I know I did that. You can do anything you want, and you can become anything. You're Americans, and America provides that opportunity, which which it does on many levels. But I think subconsciously, um, doing and being the best that you can be is really um, governed or controlled by what we truly believe deeply subconsciously about ourselves and how, how we can go. And one of the things that I've learned and observed in my own life is we all kind of have these ceilings that we make for ourselves. And those ceilings look like, for many people, um, well, I'm this and my dad did this, so therefore I'm going to do this. And that, I think, subconsciously can affect um, 
how far we go with our lives, how much money we earn, how where we live, or or how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or those feelings could be educational, you know. Well, definitely. Like no one in my family has gone to college, so therefore I'm going to go to college, and I got my bachelor's degree. That's mm-hmm. great, but that becomes your ceiling, mm-hmm. meaning that's how high and what you measure of your worth and how high you go. At some level, it's a reaction. It's too. a reaction too. Okay. So talk about that a little bit when it comes to. Um, poverty and, and and explain that a little bit because people can that hear that word poverty mindset and it means like all kinds of different things depending on where you're coming from. Totally, totally. So a lot of this is conditioning. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to how you're conditioned. So I'll give you an example just from my life and my you know and I talk about this in the book a little bit. But my dad he grew up overseas. Um, his heritage is originally from India, but he grew up in East Africa, a little island called Zanzibar. Uh, which is now part of Tanzania, and uh, obviously uh, where he grew up, there's a lot of quote-unquote poverty in that sense. There's a lot of, so he was affected by that. Mm. Um, And uh, so when he came to the States, and of course, you know, my mom uh, comes from a part of Ohio, West Virginia area, that that area where there's a lot of generational poverty. So I'm born into a family in which there's just perceptions that these are not conscious, they're unconscious. But I guess the way I would put it was, um, I was taught at a fundamental level that life is difficult. Like that's like, it's hard. Life is hard. And, um, that most, most things that you, you desire are not possible. Mm. And only a few things are actually possible. So my outlook in the world was, uh, someone say anything's possible. You know, that's a, it's a, it's a fairy tale. That, that's right. how I was brought up. So most of it's just, well, only a few things are possible. And really mostly of what is possible is suffering. So, mm. um, and, and, and somehow even then, so when that gets the theology. Was that literally spoken to you or was it just implied? A lot of it was implied, but some of it was literal. So for example, another, for example, my mom would always, and she would literally say this because she believed it. She was like, you know what the good times are for? I was like, the good times are there to prepare you for the bad times. Mm. So when the good times come, like really hang on to that, just really, what she was saying, attached to it. And there's elements of truth in all those things, right? Totally. Small elements. Contrast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so what it, what it did for me though is <laughs> anytime life got smooth mm. or, 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 or easy, let me put it that way, easy for a moment, it was dread. It was filled with dread. Like, yeah. Oh goodness, what's coming around the corner here? Mm. You know? So like when you take the words of Jesus and when Jesus said, hey, look, if you're tired, if life's hard, basically he's saying, if, learn from me because the way I live, my yoke is easy. My burden's mm-hmm. light. Like, like that didn't mean anything. It, that was like, that's a pipe dream. Like what does that even mean? And so I was conditioned. So Jesus, what I sense Jesus saying like, look, the norm <laughs> is easy and light. But that's not what I was conditioned by. I was conditioned by, no, the norm is difficult. So if you get the little pockets of relief, you know, it's not going to stay very long. <laughs> so mm. that's how, and that's what I experienced in my life. Struggle after struggle after struggle. And that's e- the poverty e- mindset. Yeah. Even, even listening to you and uh, mentally acknowledging it, I am consciously and subconsciously right now feeling myself going, yeah, that sounds great, Jamal, but um, my wife just lost her brother to cancer and her mom fell and broke her hip mm-hmm. and we've been going through a difficult time. How would you respond to that? Mm. Well, it, it's not to negate mm. that there's suffering. 
mm. in the world mm. and that kind of thing. So it, it, and what we feel when we're going through those things, those are very real to feel that, mm. but it's even in those times, there's something being communicated to yes. us to lift us up beyond that. And, um, I think that's where sometimes the pushback is, you know, I, I ultimately, <clears throat> I feel like that what unfolds in our, uh, in our, around us in the world around us is there is, there's a message. Everything's an angel in that sense. There's a message being communicated sure. to us. And if we can begin to perceive that, um, it's not really about how do I make this stop or how do I make, you know, it's when you come into alignment, everything is there to bring you into alignment. So even difficult things, some of the most difficult things I've experienced in my life brought me into alignment. Yes, I can relate to that. And that alignment uh, leads to, and this may be, sound crazy, it leads to the easy life. Mm. <laughs> it leads, and what I mean by easy is, like what Jesus said, yoke is easy, burden is light. So that's what alignment does. Or another another uh, story that I like to um uh, used to like illustrate this is for 400 some years, you know, we know the, there's a Bible story <clears throat> where the Jewish people were in Egypt as slaves mm-hmm. and they're laboring and laboring and laboring and laboring. And it's hard. And, uh, when they, when that came to a time where it was like, okay, that's enough. They were ready. They were, they were, they were like, oh, we can't take this anymore. So when they start to move into the direction of where they, the promised land, so to speak, they start mm-hmm. to move in that direction. What happens? The Red Sea opens up. And, you know, provision comes and it's like, it's just effortless, but they were terrified because it was like, well, how are we going to do this? What are we going to eat? What are we going to, where are we, you know, it's all this, but as they were moving in that direction, there was an opening. And so I believe that's a metaphor yes, for life, for all of us. Like as you start to move into the alignment of who you are, then really the things that you need. Again, this kind of kind of gets back to what I was trying to communicate in the book, but even what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Look, if you like he said don't worry about all the stuff that people worry about. You know, you go to, you know, I've traveled, I've had the privilege of traveling to a lot of places in the world, you know, and I observe the human economy is pretty much the same no matter what country you're in. It's like how do we put food on the table? How do we make it work? How do we do these things? Legitimate questions. But then Jesus comes in with a whole nother like a whole nother realm of consciousness and says, "Look, I know that that's what that's what the world worries about. But for you, don't, it shall not be so with you. You seek first this kingdom. And of course, the, you know, we have to unpack that because of what I feel like in the Christian tradition has kind of muddled that. But seek first the kingdom of God and everything you need will come with that. Mm-hmm. So, of course, then other places he says this kingdom is internal. It's within you. So when you go to this realm in, internally in your being, and start to tap into that, which is alignment. It's all about alignment. Right. Then somehow what you need to be in alignment with yourself is there mm. because now you're back in the flow of, it's like if you're in the ocean, you can go against the currents and that's, you're going to struggle. But if you go with the current, the flow, the universe is a flow, energy is a flow. If you're in the flow, then that's that's easy. It, it doesn't. You actually don't need to do anything. Mm. So there was another physicist, uh, a European physicist, lived over a hundred years ago. But he uh, he made a lot. Of, there's actually been some technological breakthroughs because of his writings. He studied salmon. Who the salmon would uh, 
you know, it's a, they're, they're, you can, when they're mating and their mating season, it's a marvel because they're swimming upstream <laughs> to, they, they do the, you That's know, right. the, the whole, they're going upstream, they're jumping right. all that. And he, so he studied them. He's like, how do they do that? Because they're, and it's effortless for the salmon. It's not, it's not hard. Mm. They're just, and he figured out the secret of how salmon were doing this, that salmon were not swimming upstream. They were being swam upstream. Mm. There was, they were getting, there was an undercurrent because of the revolutions. There was a counter revolution in the water, which created anti-gravity. It was like a, it went against the gravitational pull. Mm. So there was propulsion in it. Of course. So even, even folks that are studying propulsion theory have like really learned a lot of how you could. So there's two ways for propulsion. So if you want to get liftoff, a couple ways around it, a rocket needs a lot of thrust mm-hmm. to break free this is the grind message. You got to grind. You got to hustle. You got to grind. You got to grind. That's the traditional. Right. Embrace the grind. <laughs> right. Lots of rocket fuel to get off the ground. But then there's another theory, which is no, no, no. Do this like the salmon. You find the. The undercurrent. The undercurrent. And that's flow. And it will take you. And it's more powerful. It'll take you against even the other current. So I think that's what, kind of what, what Jesus was talking about is like. When you come into this realm, it's easy. It's light. There's alignment, and it it and it also it it helps you do the work you're here to do in the world. Because mm. we're all here to do. I believe we're here on purpose. We're here to do some work. Right. And when you get, move into that, it, it it may look like work, and it is work, but it's not. But it's not. It's yeah. there's a joy in it. Yes. It's it's just you being you, effortlessly. Well, let's talk about how that pertains to a um, poverty mindset and why this is so important for people. And I think, again, our conditioning is people start listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, here we go, the secret and how to be rich and, you know, prosperity. But it goes much deeper than that. Let's, totally. let's unpack that. Why is why is this so important for you and why are you trying to help people understand this? That's a great question. Yeah. So the prosperity message right. of... So I, I even think what we call a lot of the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. health, wealth, prosperity, and um, that, that is, there's a whole stream of sure. the Christian Christian religion where that that is a big thing. To me, that is even a byproduct of the poverty mindset mm-hmm. because people are traumatized. Right. So they're like, how do we get money? How do we, how do we, they, they learn some principles. Now, so Jesus taught some things that are powerful, taught some things like um, give, it'll give back and, and it'll be given back to you. His words. Um, you, if you operate from this plate, this realm, what I call faith, it doesn't matter. The word you use, you can say to this mountain, mm-hmm. be moved and it shall be moved. So name it, claim it, you know, kind right. of comes from that. But that's originally where Jesus' words. So my question is like, does the, do those words mean anything? <laughs> right. Like we know how they're abused, but do they mean anything? And so here's where I think coming out of the poverty mindset is really, really important because this this these truths are not to make us rich we already are rich mm-hmm. <laughs> well, i mean the universe is sure. abundant so it's not you know uh, i was talking with a friend of mine we were talking about this whole thing of like what is god's income like how much does how much i know it sounds a ridiculous question like i talk about this in the book too how much money does god make annually <laughs> it's kind of a dumb question right because to, in order to have income there has to be something outside to come in. Mm. That's why it's called income. Right. 
It's coming into it's coming, something. It's coming into something. But what is outside? Now, when we understand God or the divine, like, is there anything outside? No. <laughs> it's the circum. Like, the circumference is everything. It, it, it contains everything. Mm-hmm. So when we think, and, and in the quantum science level, we, re- we recognize that everything that exists emanates from consciousness. Consciousness um, is, I think is Max Planck is a physicist, uh, won the Nobel Prize for physics in 1908. And he, that was his mm-hmm. discovery. One of his discoveries is that, oh, it's this this information or consciousness that lies at the root of everything that exists. So income, like, well, first of all, the whole thing. Right. So, so it's not about getting rich. Like everybody's rich. I know people like that. Well, come live and walk a mile in my shoes. You know, I get it. No, I totally get it. I've been to, I've been, I've seen it. I've been to Africa, I've been to India, I've been to those places. I've seen tremendous suffering. So I'm not, I don't want to negate people's experience. But at the consciousness level, everybody, we have the same source. Mm-hmm. So, um, the the reason that I am so passionate about the po- this abundance mindset, not poverty, is because all the problems in the world that we're facing right now are solvable. Yes, I firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are enough resources. There there's enough um, creativity. Literally, we could solve it all. But what underpins the perpetual cycles of poverty are beliefs. You know, the reason world world hunger isn't solved, I firmly believe. And I was reading, uh, there's a book, great book out there called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Mm. And she's worked for the World Bank and um, she's been involved in a lot of projects to end world hunger. But the book is a phenomenal book. And she says, if we don't, most people who are who are involved in humanitarian work or, you know, um, helping folks, they actually don't believe mm. that there's enough resources to go around everybody. It's like if you believe that, you'll never do it. But the the like when we realize that the that every problem we have is mm. solvable because it at the consciousness level is where all the solutions are found, then if we I really do believe that if human beings come out of this poverty mindset, really come back to the source, the root, the essence of what reality is, mm. then our external world will begin to reflect that. Well, let's define the poverty mindset. Can you what can, can you give us like a brief definition of how you would define it for the average human being mm. living anywhere in the world? Um, I, I would find I would I would um, define the poverty mindset as being synonymous with scarcity, okay, or lack, okay. So. For example, what uh, the the poverty mindset is rooted in a belief that lack exists. Now, I know some people would be like, "Well, <clears throat> it does exist. Look, <laughs> I'm trying to pay a bill and there's no money there, <laughs> so lack exists." I, I understand that, but I mean, um, it's at a perceptual level mm. what exists, and I would say it like this: everything that exists exists. And something that doesn't exist doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty straightforward. Lack is a perception that so, at the perception level, at the consciousness level, something exists, but it, it's not there. Mm. I can perceive it. I can conceive of it. It just doesn't exist. So it's an actual belief that something tangible doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And by very definition, non-existence is non-existent. And this is not just money. 
No, it's everything. And so for for existent, for instance, <laughs> when someone says, I can't do that, mm-hmm. I can't afford it, I can't go there, I can't do it, I can't become that, what you're saying is, I don't believe that I have what it takes or the funds to exist or I don't have the mental capacity or I don't have the talent to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is I'll never be a professional basketball player. Mm-hmm. Now, is there also the reality, however, that I choose to do certain things that I uh, believe that I want or I can do that other people look at my life and say, I could never do that. Mm. Yes, you could do that. It, the, the better question should be, how can I do that, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So the, when, when people talk about that, I can't do that, well, what is that? Mm-hmm. So that, whatever that is, starts. Where will it start? So let's, I like to go back to the beginning. Where will it start? Oh, it starts at the perceptual level. So first... Before it's ever anything, this is the truth. This is the truth. Like this table, these microphones, this, all of this. Before it was here, at some level, at some point, it started as a concept in right. consciousness. That's why it's here now. It started at the consciousness level. So everything starts at the same source, consciousness. Mm-hmm. So nothing actually independently exists unless it comes from the consciousness level. So lack is a pers- is a belief that something that we can conceive does not exist. If you can conceive it, it exists. Now, as far as what whether or not it flows through us, I, I believe there's a, there is a caveat to that, and that's desire. You have to have a desire. If you have a desire, then what... This, I'm firmly convinced of this, that if you have a legitimate desire that is your desire to do something, then what comes with that desire is all of the necessary resources right. to to make that desire reality. Otherwise, you would not have the desire. And this is true. I mean, why do we get hungry? Why do we get thirsty? Because mm-hmm. the resources for that desire exist. So uh, uh, the poverty mindset is a belief that I have a desire and there are no resources to right. fulfill that desire. That's the poverty mindset. But that's it's, it's that that is that does not exist. So something that's that a false can, belief. That's a false belief. So it breaks the reality. So the good, the good news about something that doesn't exist is that it doesn't exist. <laughs> so on a real practical level, um, you know, in, in 1900, if you were to ask someone, can human beings fly? And will there be a day in the near future where lots of people will get on a flying machine and fly across the world and get to places in a matter of hours? And people will say, that's impossible, Mm -hmm. that does not exist, and it can't exist, and it will never exist. And yet around that same time, there were some brothers in the Carolinas, the Wright brothers, that said, I believe that that will exist, Mm. and it can exist. So the people, the majority of human beings who said, that can't be done, Mm. that is a false belief. Totally. They believed, yes, it can be done. I look at birds, they fly. I can build a pair of airplane, it flies. Let's scale that up and let's figure out how to motorize it. We can put motors on cars and trains. Maybe we can create something that flies. Mm. And so the true belief is, so the poverty belief is there will never be anything that human beings can't fly. That's a false belief. The true belief was, yes, there will, and I will figure out how to do it. How can I figure out how to do it? 
Is that a good example? That's a great example because and and so conditioning is where where things get mm-hmm. away. It, people so conditioning is everything you've experienced in your past. It's your belief systems. It's what you you're told and and everything you've seen done. So if you're operating from conditioning, you would never create anything new. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's because it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. So conditioning, you look at the way the world works and you go, well, that's what I do. But you have to break from conditioning in order mm-hmm. to that the creative that's process. Hard part. That's a hard part. It is yeah, and and that's where you when you come back to source energy, source essence. When you when you tap into that, now you're conceiving from I believe the the we call the cloud the divine mind whatever it is you're tapping into that level which is has nothing to do with conditioning and so there's a, there's actually a cool story I actually was listening to um, a friend of mine's podcast he was talking about this but it's kind of like when Jesus would do miracles right so that it's a break from conditioning oh the things that you can't really do he's doing them mm. then he sent. So the disciples <laughs> saw that new conditioning, right? So then he sends them out to do that same thing, and and they and they did, but then they they encountered a situation where it was difficult. Uh, there was a one of the boys, and of course the, the the story at that time, based on their they, they oh the guy's demon possessed. That's kind of a, the way that they're understanding. They're understanding. Right? So this guy is throwing himself into the fire, and he's is this is somebody's son. You know, he's really probably injuring. probably was a. Uh, he had uh, seizures. Seizures, right? right. Yeah, it can be all, it can be any number of those yeah. things. And so he was aff- afflicted, and uh, they brought they brought this boy to the disciples to to have him healed, and they couldn't do it. So then epilepsy. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then the father comes to Jesus, kind of mm-hmm. complaining, going, "Your disciples couldn't help my son. I helped all these other people, couldn't help him." And Jesus got really upset. <laughs> he was like, "How long do I have to put up with you people?" Like. Bring the boy to me. And that's a super interesting response. Like, um, I, I think really kind of upset with the disciples in a lot of ways. Just like, well, we've went over this. And so like, he, you know, the boy is healed. And so then the disciples are like, they came up to him later and they were like, why couldn't we do this? And that's a fascinating question to mm-hmm. me. And the reason, like, why couldn't they do it? Well, because, and I, I, my understanding is that they were operating on conditioning. They saw Jesus do a lot of things. They saw themselves doing a lot of things, but this was a new one. This was different. This looked, oh, this is a hard one. This is a difficult case. So there's a there's an actual <clears throat> principle in the uh, uh, the course. Have you heard of a course in mm-hmm. miracles? Right. But there's a there's a statement in the course in miracles that says there's no order of difficulty in miracles. <laughs> it's all the same. It's not like you know, ten, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. It's just zeros. Like there's no level. Mm-hmm. But when you're operating from conditioning, the illusion is, is that this is harder than this. This is more difficult than mm-hmm. this. And they were operating on it, and they couldn't. So if you operate in conditioning, you will be limited. That's a lack. Mm-hmm. So, but Jesus, Jesus' response to them when they said, "Why couldn't we do this?" He said, "Listen, if you have faith," and he would always say, "You have little faith." That was not a knock. Because first of all, we all have a lot of faith because that's source energy. Mm-hmm. And he's not trying to say, oh, you only have little faith. He was saying, even if you ha- like, if you understand that it, if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved and it will be moved. It's not, it, that's a ridiculous, it's actually a, an absurd statement. Faith is, it is meant to be absurd to, to, to do, to play in the contrast. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you're operating from that, which is not conditioning, if you're tapped into that just a little bit of source energy, then what you conceive <clears throat> is easy. How hard is it to move a mountain? Well, 
in the illusion is extremely hard. But when, mm. so for that, this was, you can just do it. It's not, it's not hard when you're not operating from conditioning. Mm. So conditioning, when we're conditioned by lack, that's, we're hitting the ceiling. But when you're tapped into source energy, you can, what you dream and conceive can be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why the Wright brothers created the airplane. Sure. Because they're conceiving. There's not conditioning. Or someone like, you know, um, Elon Musk is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Blazing trails. Because I believe this is, and this is not just everything spiritual. This is spiritual. These What people are creating. Right. Out of the realm of, <laughs> not from the realm of conditioning. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And take it a step further to, to say, to look at, you know, 1900, the Wright brothers, that in that same century, jets going to the moon, spacecraft, you know, all kinds of stuff came out of that it, within 100 years right. or less than 100 years, you know, 60 something years. So, um, well, let's bring it down to a practical level. Okay. So someone's listening and they're like, you know, I agree. I hear what you're saying, but I just, I, I've got bills i've got a life i've got a family uh or some, this something bad happened to me um my lot in life uh, has not been easy like we're talking about mm-hmm. you know the title of, of your facebook group is uprooting what are some of the first things or steps in uprooting for people like how can they get started it's easy you know yeah jamal that's easy for you because you're doing this and you write a book and it's easy for you you don't have these responsibilities but you walk this path, and I know a little bit about your story. So, what are some of the first things that need to be addressed? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, first thing, and I would like to just say this, like you know, at a conceptual level, I always tell people, okay, um, the thing, the good news is everything exists. Postulate first premise: everything exists. That means everything that doesn't exist doesn't exist. <laughs> So everything exists. So that actually undercuts the belief in lack. Everything right. already exists. So number one. And we all can agree on that. We can all agree on that. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Non-existence means non-existence. Right. <laughs> so existence is all we have. That's where we're starting from. So existence. Number two, uh, this is an under, this is a really important understanding is, and we've all had experience of this. If you have a problem, the more you look at the problem, the the more frustrated you get. Mm. So if you have, let's say, okay, I got bills. I don't have, I don't have the income. I got bills. I got to pay the bills. So how, okay. So what people tend to do through conditioning is let's stress about it. Let's right. think about it. Let's stress about it. You get more stressed about it and it doesn't help you. And then some people, some, sometimes you'll end up doing things to react to that. Okay. Well, I better go do something to mitigate this problem. And usually the thing you end up doing to mitigate the problem causes other problems. That's right. <laughs> so, even though on, on the surface it looks like, well, that could help. So I always advise people is to say, okay, stop looking at the problem because you won't find the solution to your problem from the problem. Mm. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work that way. So you have to get out of fight or flight. So when, when you're looking at a problem, you're stressed and, and it's trauma. So you'll never find the solution from that realm of consciousness. Mm. So I always want to tell people, okay, let's put that away for a moment. There'll be time to worry about that later. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to right now and let's get out of the, the, so our first job at solving the problem is to get out of fight or flight. Mm. So we have to come back to a place of peace and rest. 
So that's there. Then there's modalities and kind of what I do with the coaching work is to help somebody come out of fight or flight and to come back to the realm where all the creative solutions will be found to solve that problem. But you won't get there in fight or flight. Can you give like one little anecdotal example of how you've helped someone do that? Uh, well, okay. Can I I'll maybe share a personal example? Sure. Okay. So I have a car on it, which I love, but it was breaking down <laughs> like several times and uh, it was inconvenient and it costs money every time to fix my car. So this kept happening several, it just over and over and over. And I mean, like almost to the point where it was like, this is weird. Like this, this in the span of a month or two months, this was happening. I have my car right down two or three. I have it towed like several times. And I'm like, so I've learned to ask the question, is this for me? Like, like, like life is not just happening to me. It's actually happening for me. So I go, okay, this is actually for me. I don't know what it's for me, but it is. So I was stressed, but then I said, okay, let me take a moment. So I, what I did is I just start to, first I say, thank you. Thank you for this. This is a message. This is an, you know, an angel, the definition of an angel is a messenger. So this is a, this is an angel to me. It's a, it's a messenger. Okay. Thank you. So I get at, that helps me when, as soon as you say, thank you, you can move into a place of gratitude. It's a high frequency, mm. um, mindset. So it, you're now moving out of trauma and fight or flight. So thank you. Even if I don't know why I'm thankful. I'm so just, you're thanking, being thankful even in the bad and for the bad situation. Yeah. Because okay. it's, because it's delivering a divine message. Mm. So I'm going, okay, there's a, there's a divine messenger here. So thank you for that. So I then begin to ask the question, you know, first of all, maybe meditate. There'll be times of like through deep breathing techniques and just breathing and meditate. Show me. And I ask the question, show me what the message is from this and just listen. And you, you don't have to make it up. Sometimes it's just, just want you to get quiet and feel what you're feeling. So I'm like, yeah, this feels a little frustrating. And I know there's a message here. So thank you for that. And so what I got from that was, have you thought about a new car? <laughs> I was like, no, I actually hadn't thought about a new car. Because you didn't feel like... You Maybe didn't. there was a level of, I don't feel like I can think about a new car, mm. which is a... Which is a, which is a lack. Lack. Right. right. My poverty mindset there. So the, the question was, so the question I believe is coming from the divine is saying, have you thought about a new car? Like, no. Well, why don't you think about it? Because by the way, everything's possible. So just think this, it doesn't take any money or resources to visualize another car. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, well, what would I visualize? So I started thinking about it and what came to mind was Tesla. (laughs) Oh, I want a Tesla. Why do I want a Tesla? So I was like, yeah, I got, so I noticed my energy, my energy spiked Mm. when I had this thought of a Tesla and I found myself to be excited. So I'm like, why am I excited about a Tesla? Is it because it's a Tesla? Is it because it's novelty? What What is it? And I knew instantly what came was, oh, look at, that. first of all, I love the inventor, Nikola sure. Tesla. As I've, his story is amazing. Mm. And he, he had a belief that the world is abundant. Mm. And this is, this is why inventions came out of that. The mm-hmm. AC motor, we still use it in the cars. The AC motor the al- was alternating current. He's basically saying, look, energy is en- is infinite in supply. Why are we <laughs> struggling here? Like, it's infinite. Let's tap into it. So he created this AC motor, which just generates power. I mean, we don't, like, it's amazing. It's incredible. And of course, the idea of the company, the car company Tesla is like, it just, it feels itself. It just mm-hmm. regenerates itself. The power's regenerating. And I really believe that this is, we need this understanding in our planet because mm-hmm. we're, we're operating from a place of lack. We're 
exploiting resources and all this. Like it doesn't have to be that way. We can do the same thing with absolutely with endless sources of energy. And this is what Tesla, as a company, this is what gave birth to that company, mm-hmm. which is a belief at that level. So I want. So I was like, if I'm going to drive a car, I want to drive a message. Mm. I, I want the car to be in alignment with my with my message. So, um, so I sat with that. I'm like, cool. So I set an intention. Want a Tesla? I have a Tesla. You know, it's not that, I know that sounds crazy, but that, that kind of this. I believe if you set intentions, this is how you drive life forward. So I set that intention, and it felt light and it felt good. My car stopped breaking down after I set that intention. By the way, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, the message was was received. So a little while later, a few weeks later, I'm just taking a walk. Um, I live in the mountains in Southern California, up in the, and so I have this beautiful place to walk, and I'm just walking in the midst of these beautiful trees. And a thought comes to me. Again, I'm not stressed. I'm in. I'm taking a walk. <laughs> this is a very meditative practice. Mm. I'm taking a walk in the nature, and a thought, an inspired thought, comes to me and says, "Okay, you want a Tesla? Good. Why? You can. You don't have to wait. Why don't you buy the company?" <laughs> so I'm like, "What does that mean?" And instantly it was like, "Well, they have shares. Yeah, stocks. Mm-hmm. Stocks. That's how you own a company. Mm-hmm. So like, what? Isn't it a company you believe in? So why don't you invest not to make a buck?" But invest because believe I believe wholeheartedly. So I was like, I never thought about that. I literally never thought about this. So now these these are thoughts coming mm. from beyond my limited mind, and I'm I'm like, and they it's like, and I feel the energy, and I'm like, let mm. me do that. So I go and look it up. Like, oh my gosh, it's like three hundred dollars a share. It's expensive. It probably is not going to go up. And then I had to. That's limited. Right. It's lack. It's so like cool. I don't have the money, or I could never do that. Or, right? or like how much. Realistically, is this money going to, is it? So then I was reminded, this isn't about making money. Right. This is about message and alignment. I'm like, okay, okay. It doesn't matter. So I bought a few shares. The stock skyrockets. (laughs) I have now made, I have, I've now made (laughs) enough money on the stock sale to pay for my old car that kept breaking down. Like I've, I've doubled. It's just Mm -hmm. like, this is all from a problem. Mm. This is just a, this, cool. this one example of how when you start seeing your problems as blessings, as mm. their messages, their angels coming to you. And when you start asking the question, first you start with gratitude, not, oh my gosh, this is horrible. My car's breaking down. It's like, thank you. What are you trying to say? Thank you. You just, mm. you just get out of that fight or flight. Talk a little bit. That That's an amazing story. And I love that. Um, talk about how, this poverty mindset, this lack and versus abundance mindset affects more than just um, financial. Because I think, let's say you're over here listening to this and you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty good financially. Uh, and you know what? Money doesn't mean as much to me because I'm pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. Talk about how a poverty mindset affects more than just your finances. Talk about how it affects relationships and well, personal growth and those things. I was gonna, I was gonna go right to relationships because yeah. this is where, this is where um, a lot of poverty is lived out is in the, in the realm of relationships because relationships, relationships can be really frustrating because you feel <laughs> there's a sense of powerlessness, helplessness. I can't change this other person, mm. and you may love another person deeply, and when you love somebody, you want the best for them. Mm. And you want to change them. <laughs> you want to give them. Like, can I can I just give you? And it's really difficult. It's really difficult to do that. So 
a poverty mindset kind of just says, look, it's impossible. This is just an impossible situation. And uh, it kind of goes into the place of hopelessness mm. and you kind of give up. Like this is never going to change. It's never going to change. Or this person's not going to change. Totally, totally. So when you when you shift out of the poverty mindset and come back to a place of abundance, you realize there is no other people. There's just me. And I know that sounds crazy, but everybody, I'm firmly convinced that other people are mirrors. Mm. They're sent into our life with a message to mirror back to us either something beautiful or also even, and usually our closest relationships, they mirror back a couple different things. One is the, the truth and the other one is the shadow. Mm. So the truth is we're loved. So these people come into our life and show us that we're loved, but they also come and bring the shadow shadow of limitation, lack, frustration, what all those things. So I have a principle. I've just adopted this belief and because I, it does, it's a belief that says there's no other people. Everybody's a mirror. So if I look into a mirror and I notice something in the mirror, the temptation is, so if you, if, if, if you don't know you're looking into a mirror, then you think there's somebody looking mm-hmm. back at you. <laughs> right. So if you have a cut on your face and you look in the mirror and there's like somebody looking back and they have a cut, if you don't know you're looking into a mirror, you may t- apply the Band-Aid mm-hmm. to, the, to the mirror. Right. But it's not going to work because you can put the Band-Aid on the mirror, but that's mm. an illusion. I.e., try to fix the other person. Try to fix the other person. So if you, what you see in another person is a mirror of you. You go and back and fix you. Mm. And as you heal, they will heal. Mm. And that I firmly believe that. That's that, good. That we come back and... and uh, as I grow, my family grows, my relationships grow. Mm. As I heal, and then to take it all the way out, as I heal, the world heals. Mm. That's a heavy thought. That's a heavy thought. And what a beautiful application of, of a lack versus abundance mentality of saying um, there is enough healing and there's enough change, there's enough love, there's enough kindness, there's enough patience um, to go around for everyone in the world. If I really believed that, then I wouldn't give up on people. That's right. And what I'm really saying, what you're saying is you're really giving up on yourself. That's it. That's it. Everybody's a projection of self. Mm. So, you know, you know, when you forgive the hardest person to forgive, it's yourself. Oh, absolutely. And then it's hard to forgive ourselves for not being able to forgive ourselves. Mm. So if you can forgive yourself for not being able to forgive yourself, you can forgive everybody because mm. it's all an extension of that. Sure, sure. That's that's beautiful. Well, if if so so let's talk about perception and reality for a minute because I think part of uprooting some of these things is realizing that your perception, my perception of reality uh, is that it's my perception and the assumption and I talk about this on my podcast a lot with a lot of different guests. And it's so transformative to me, but I'd love to hear your your opinion on it, is when you believe that everybody sees the world the same way you do, mm-hmm. um, that's when things go wrong really fast. Right. Because, but but what happens is we have a tendency then to gravitate toward people who see the world the same way we do. And this is where you get factions and tribalism and, and you know, cults and political parties and everything. And there's nothing wrong with surrounding yourself that with people that you like and that see the world the same way. But when you begin to believe that is the truth of the reality for everything, 
um, I think that's when things go south really quickly. Can you talk about perception and things like that? Totally, totally. Yeah, I think um, when you're looking through the lens of ego, you know, the, the ego tends to want to see things as us and them. You know, want to see, okay, because the, the, it was really what people, the reason people do that is they want to feel safe. Mm. You know, so I want to surround myself with people who think just like me because it makes me feel safe. Mm. And uh, then that is ultimately an outsourcing of, of your safety, your sense of safety to, okay, I need this dynamic out here to exist in order for me to feel safe. So it's under, I think if someone, and that's, that, it's very natural and that's why people do f- organize in factions and like-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And of sure. course then, then the, whenever you have that, you have a them, somebody who's not a part of the us, right? which leads to all warfare mm-hmm. at either at a relational level or even at a national, international level. We have us and them, good and bad, good guys, evil guys, you know, kind of a thing. But to, so when you can recognize that that's happening, it's like, okay, why do I want to be around these people? Because what does it make you feel? I always love mm-hmm. that question. What does it mm-hmm. make you feel when you're around people who think just like you? Oh, I, I feel seen, understood. It's great. Safe. Great. That's awesome. Can you, here's the question, is it out of the realm of possibility to think I could feel those things within my being? And when, and I believe the answer is yes. So when you start to feel that from your being, you no longer need the conformity mm. to get to that state, which means you can then accept where anybody is, mm. no matter what they believe, because you have achieved that at your at the level of being. And is part of this understanding um, foundational to uprooting the poverty mindset? I do believe so. I do believe so. Because again, the poverty mindset is when we perceive ourselves as lacking mm. at the being level. I'm not enough. I'm not okay. So therefore, I then now go looking for something to meet that need, that poverty. Mm. There's an impoverishment there. So it, whether it be in safety. So my my understanding is, school of thought I come from is that human beings have the same essential needs. Mm. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy needs or whatever. But you know, Tony Robbins has done a lot of work on this, uh, the six human needs. But I, mm. but I, I I do my my experience has been yes, people have the same needs. Certainty, safety, which is another mm-hmm. form of safety. Uncertainty, adventure, significance, love mm. and connection, growth, contribution. These are the things that when people are experiencing these human needs and there's flow there, a person will say, yeah, my life feels really rich. Mm. I don't mean that in a monetary way, but it feels rich. It feels satisfying because there's movement and flow in these areas. And when there's a breakdown in one of these areas, um, that's when we begin, when there's a, there's a trauma in one of these areas, that's when we begin looking outside of ourself mm. to, to have a sense of, let me go meet that. And that's where the poverty mindset kicks in, which leads to, um, people giving away their power, you know, so mm. they're outsourcing that. It's not coming from being. Mm. Yeah. Outsourcing your power. That's, that, that's a, that's a heavy one. I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on that. Sure. But, but getting back to, to this uprooting this um, abundance versus lack, poverty versus lack. Um, what what does that l- begin to look like when you begin to awaken to the reality of, oh, okay, I've been conditioned all my life to create a ceiling for myself. And whatever that may be, not just money, but it's anything. It's status, it's um, um, my lot in life, where I'm supposed to live, what I can do and what I can become. You know, we have these ceilings that we make for ourselves. And some of them, um, there's nothing wrong with them. It's, you know, if I am happy and content living a certain way, then that's great. 
But I think if many of us were honest, there's many of the things we'd like to change, whether it be financially, whether it be in our jobs, whether it be um, our service to, to others and to humanity, in our relationships, our marriages. What does um, up, beginning to uproot this start to look like in the lives of people? Like what, what are the... What are the glimmers of hope and what are what is the benefits for someone listening and saying, you know, maybe I should go join that Facebook group and participate and I could benefit from it. What you know, just projecting off a few months and years down, what does that begin to look like as far as evolution and change for people? That's a great question. I, I think it I like to start at the level of consciousness. So mm-hmm. it it fe- so I always come back to you'll start to feel certain things. Mm. So like, like Jesus said, you'll know a good teaching versus a bad teaching based on the fruit. Good teacher bears good fruit. Again, is in, in, however you've been taught to interpret that, what is at the level, uh, my, my only standard is like, what is the, what is fruit? Is it so, beneficial? Yeah. Fruit, and, you know, even thinking back to like Paul's language, Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit, which is joy, love, peace, patience. Okay. So do you, so what will happen when you move out of limitation thinking start to feel just gl- little glimmers of hope is like my life feels like possibility and lighter and lighter mm-hmm. and I get there's an excitement so what I notice is when I'm waking up one of my favorite times of day is when I'm waking up um, because it's feel it seems like I'm oh my goodness there is this has never happened before mm-hmm. and today is full of all kinds of possibilities and an opportunity to move into myself and my desires it's another day to do that. Well, that's very different than waking up and feeling like another day, another day of monotony and the same thing that I've always experienced and that feels heavy and dense. So the fruit, what can happen when people come out of the poverty mindset is that they start to actually feel, they, they, the life feels possible. And it's it, that may sound like insignificant, but it's, it's literally you getting your life back. Mm. Um, and that, and, and when you start to, ha- that's the energy that creates uh, everything you desire to create. And I, I firmly believe that we're here to live on purpose and we're here to live into our desires. Our desires are actually driving us forward in life. And our desires are gifts that are mm. given to us because this is what, they're like taste buds. Our mm. desires are like taste buds for our, our entire being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it makes it so, enjoyable. So many of us, though, um, and again, not to go down a rabbit trail, but I'd love to, to hear your input and, and your wisdom on, so many of us have been taught, depending on what we were brought up and how we were brought up, that our desires, our personal desires, our personal wants, our personal passions, um, there's a spectrum. We're either taught that's really bad, mm-hmm. you should not be seduced by them, or... Maybe you weren't brought up to that extreme. Maybe you're just like, yeah, that's great, but put others set first and yourself second. Mm. And do, don't you think that's part of the poverty mindset as well? I do, I do. So, so addressing the the desires aren't trustworthy because I was I was kind of brought up in that same way, especially in the, in the Christian world. You know, we're taught our desires are hard is wicked. Yeah, it's <laughs> wicked. So you don't want to you don't want to give into that. But I think um, the, a, ca- a caveat is the ego. Um, which is the construct self has desire. So if, if you suggest lack, if you introduce the concept of lack, it does something to your desire. There becomes a sense of 
lust, a striving. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, you want what you can't have. What you want what you can't have, but a lot of times, that's not really what a person really wants. It's what. So I like the example of the beggar that was begging in front of the temple. So he was begging and. All the, all the folks were following Jesus, and so they're walking. And the guy's got a cup, and he's asking for coins. He's like begging, want coins. He's blind. He's like, give me, give me money. Because, you know, that society, he had no other recourses and total poverty mindset, understandably so. So he's crying out to Jesus saying, hey, you know, um, have mercy on me, have mercy. And they're trying to shush him. The, the disciples are like, no, 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 quiet, quiet. Jesus is important. You're not important. Like, be quiet. And Jesus looks at him. I mean, notices him, which I love. That's I love this story for a lot of reasons. But he, he, he literally was like, "This guy's the most important thing right now." Mm. And he stops and says, and he asks him a question, which I love it. So if Jesus was an evangelical, he would not ask this question. But Jesus wasn't an evangelical, so <laughs> he asked this question. And he says, "What do you want? Mm. What do you desire? What a, what an incredible so that gets read over really quickly, but." That to me is profound. Asking somebody what they what they what do you desire? Because that matters. So he saw me, he's like, hey, you have a desire here. Now the, the initial <laughs> the initial would like, okay, he had a couple desires. Money was one. <laughs> but that wasn't his real desire. That was a twisted desire from lack, because that's all he thought he could get. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want money to, because I want to survive. Because I can't work. Because I crippled. can't work. I'm this, yeah. But was that hit what he really wanted? No. So what Jesus asked him was like, because he could have just said, clearly the guy wants money, so just give him some money or don't. But that's what he wants. But Jesus was intuiting there's a deeper desire even beyond that. Now, that's the desires I'm talking about. So what did this guy want? He's like, I want to see. But that that's a very vulnerable desire because it felt like, but that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So where it's, I, I'm, I was I'm born blind. I, there's no way I could see. But that, but it didn't change the fact that he wanted that. So even the idea that that's not possible, still he had that desire, and he felt safe enough in that moment to to let Jesus in on that desire, mm. to say, "Yeah, actually, I want to see." How vulnerable, first of all, did that? But it's in our vulnerability that we find our power. Yes, and it's and there's nothing more vulnerable than a pure desire mm. from a core, mm. and. God, I really believe, has planted those desires in our being. Mm. So he's, he's saying, hey, what do you want? He's like, I want to see. And then, of course, you know, we know the story. Oh, his eyes are opened. And but, then, if he, but he was come from a religious system. He, he couldn't he trust that. He could have trusted. It's like, yeah, but um, that's selfish of me. Right. And, and, and let, let, not my desire, but let God, whatever your desire is. And it's like, but Jesus is like, no, I want to know what you want. Mm. So he's like, you know, I want to see. And so his eyes were open, and then he tried to give Jesus credit for it. Jesus says, no. Your, it was your faith that made you well. It's what you wanted. Yeah, it's what you wanted. This was in you. Mm. <laughs> so your desire is your faith. Mm. It is the essence. It's that source energy. So I, I firmly believe a lot of things that we want that may not be healthy or that it's not actually what we want. And and I'll tell you where this really. I I was doing some work with a guy who was had a, was addicted to pornography, and uh, he came from a religious background. And uh, he said, I'm just a horrible, evil person. Mm. And he kept saying that. I'm just, why do you do this? Well, because I'm evil, because I'm this, I'm that. So obviously, <laughs> like, that's not true. Um, uh, and so we, we you know, unpacked that. And I said, no, you, there's a desire here. Let's figure out what you want. It's like, well, <laughs> that, that was hard for him. But finally, eventually, he got to a point where he's like, I was like, well, you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't think there was a payoff. Tell me what the perceived 
desire is that's there. He said, you know, honestly, in, in the pornography, there's a moment where I feel like the, the girls on the other end of that can see me. Mm. And he's like, and I just don't feel mm. seen. And I, that, there's the desire. You want to be seen, mm. which is really significant. One of, the, one of the human needs. It's beautiful. I was like, that is beautiful. That desire to be seen and appreciated is beautiful. It's given to you. Now, when you realize that, the, and you can accept that desire. Now, he did he desire pornography? No, actually he didn't. But that was the root of the mm. desire. So when we can get to the root of the desire and accept it, then we realize, okay, this, this methodology was not actually uh, meeting that need. So it, it's, it's not actually the desire. So we can trust the core desire that's behind everything. Mm. It's driving us. And so I really believe that's the only way we get our life back. That's good. That's good. So, so perceiving uh, what is reality, perceiving um, you know, that everything is, does exist. And what, what else? What's, what, you know, before, as we wind this up, what's one more thing that people just to take away beyond those things um, as you get deeper into helping someone kind of root this out? What else have we missed? That um, one that comes to mind is the belief that it's the path of least resistance that is what we're destined for. Mm. So this will show us, this is what we're, we're made to live an easy and light life. So for mm -hmm. example, uh, we call the law of least effort. Mm. So another way to come out of the poverty mindset is to come to this place where it's like, okay, what happens when you're driving on the, on the road? When you're, when you're driving on the road and you get off course, what happens? I mean, they have these things called the, we call them drunk bumps or whatever, but the rumble strips, they're there for a reason. And, and uh, it shows you you're going off the road and it's not comfortable. It's hard to drive on the rumble strips. Your car's bouncing. It's not, it's not fun. Um, we've, been, we've been ingrained with a conditioned belief that that's the way life is. But now actually the way life is is we, when you hit the drunk bumps or the rumble strips, you, you just make an adjustment. You turn the wheel a little bit till you get back to that smooth mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. So it's the law of least effort. And in that place, you can effortlessly be you. You can do your work in the world. You can be you, and it's easy. Mm. And uh, it goes against the grain. You know, was, a lot of folks were taught, um, you know, hard work leads to success. And uh, I know a guy who was always saying, like, ah, my dad was the hardest working man that I've ever met. I mean, he would, his hands would be bloody sometimes. He'd come home at the end of the day. And um, he was, he barely made it. And then I met people that uh, were doing really well in life, and they barely work. In that in this in that traditional sense, he's like so. The belief that it takes the grind, it takes really really hard work to get ahead is actually not true. Can be, yeah. It's the law of least effort. So it's about being in your flow. Figuring out when you come into alignment with you, life is mm. enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I really believe that's key. Yeah. That belief in that is key to uprooting the poverty mindset. Yeah, yeah. It you we have to get to the point that we believe that we can believe that yeah it's br it's breathing i'm coming back to the point of breath mm. i was like how do you know god we you know to, you and know. i have talked about this reality of um the concept of reality and consciousness um, you know it, it's as simple as imagining someone who was born blind um and if no one around him uh could see either and he lived in a community of blind people his reality would only be um, what he see, what he hears, what he smells, what he touches, 
and could probably create and live a very functional life, being that's his only reality. But if someone comes along and says, um, you know, there's something called light and colors and more than beyond what you can hear and smell and feel, um, you at that point either have a choice to believe that there's something beyond you or you have a choice to say, well, I have never experienced that. Therefore, it does not exist, nor can it exist. And I think that's what you're helping people to get to, is to say, yes, what is real for you is real. What your experience is real. But just be open to the fact that there might be something better and bigger and brighter um, that you know I, you can assist as a coach and others to help turn on mm-hmm. for you. And I think that's what's beautiful about your work and what you've done and what you're doing is you're allowing people to turn on the lights and say, there's something you haven't experienced, but you can because it does exist, right? Mm. Mm. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, a a sense of possibility. Yeah, a sense of possibility where you never thought there was a possibility. And the possibility you see will be the thing you experience because we experience what we see. Mm. And I just want to say that I don't think there's any limit of age of that. Right. It's like, well, I'm too old. I'm set in my ways, and that can never be for me anymore. Mm. Um, have you have you been able to coach and work with people that are older up in years? Right. Yeah. Yeah, older than, well, I say older than me, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, into their into their, their second, their, their twilight years. Yeah. So um, it, there's a quality here. This is something fascinating that I've discovered. Okay, so body identification. When you're identified... So I always ask people, where are you? So they've done these studies. They get in, you know, the 1950s, they had all these, uh, when, when neurosurgery, neuro, you know, uh, they were making a lot of breakthroughs in neurosurgery. And so you can do brain surgery on folks mm-hmm. without, you know, anesthetic because just numb the area where they cut. But in, in the brain, there's no nerve ending. So they, people can be awake. And so they'll operate. They were doing these experiments on the brain because they, they, in neuro, neurosurgery, neuroscience, they were... They, they, commonly taught that the brain is the creator of consciousness mm. that that it kind of like the pancreas creates insulin the liver you know gallbladder secretes bile the brain secretes consciousness so it's it's a so that's the belief in the physical world's primary the conscious or immature world's secondary which we know to be false now but this these these uh, neuroscientists were out there and they're like they would make they would be manipulating somebody's brain and they making their arms move up and down and uh, the idea is that, um, okay, they can follow that pattern, that whether firing harpens and you make right. your arm move. So they I would ask the lady, okay, are you moving your arm? And she would say, no, I see it's moving. I can feel it moving, but it, I'm not doing it. I said, okay, because he's manipulating it. He said, I want you to take control of your arm. And he would say, I want you, I want you to take control of it. And he's looking, where is the decision? Where's the conscious part that says to do it? Where does that originate from that can then take control of the brain? And he couldn't find it. And they did all these experiments. They were like trying to find the, the will, the consciousness. Could not find it anywhere in the body. Mm. The person that says, I want to do this. I want to move my arm this way. Couldn't find where that person was. But it was interacting. So he came to this conclusion. He said, here's what it's like. At the time, you know, there was typewriters. He said, he's like, it's like somebody sitting down in front of a typewriter. The brain's the typewriter. You can watch the keys get pushed. Mm. And you can watch the markings all happen on the page, but the person hitting the keys 
is nowhere to be found in the body. And that's the consciousness. So it was extra local. That's the, they came to, his guy came to that conclusion. It is not in the body. So it uses the body, uses the brain. So here's what I, what I found to answer your question about working with people in older years or even younger is that the consciousness is not our body. We are not our body. Our bodies, it's like the radio that's on or the TV that's on. There's nobody in the radio. There's nobody that it's coming through and that device is designed to it's give it expression. Using the, using the device. Using the device. So when you're not body identified, mm. you're, you, you start to understand who am I? You are consciousness itself that's using your body. Then you realize I'm not young or old. I'm, I just am. <laughs> that's why you can be any age and feel like you're young. Totally. I actually, and I have a, my brother-in-law, his grandfather just turned a hundred and just had a hundred, his hundredth birthday and he's investing. He's an investor. <laughs> Because he's always looking at, he's, he perceives. Yeah. He doesn't see his life is over. It's beautiful. It's just consciousness. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean. And he's yeah. dancing at his 100th party. He's like, he's totally active. I mean, like it's all, and everybody's marveling. And he's like, I don't, it just, he's just conscious. He's just, mm. he's just very awake. And yet there's something that comes with age and time and understanding mm-hmm. that takes experience in the physical body. Mm. Um and in the that then you translate to your consciousness, right? Yeah. So what happens is, I mean, we're coming out of an illusion. So I have a, a friend, coach friend that always says, you start when you're born, you, you experience life as you, because mm-hmm. you don't have a story. You don't have a name. You don't have any experiences. So you're just you're awake, it's like in the quality of a newborn. And then about two or three, you start to develop a, a uh, you start to develop the illusion of separation and then you go into the terrible twos and you start to see life is happening to you and you kind of, you know, it, it feels hard and difficult and that's really the consciousness that most people get stuck in. Life mm-hmm. happens to me. We're about two years old. It gets developed and right. that's stay where people, there. people stay there and they're reacting and resisting and all this kind of thing. It's more reactive to, to life. Totally, totally. But then when you start to wake up, the awakening process is going, oh, not life doesn't just happen to me, but it actually happens by me. I have some agency here. I have some control here, and that's when people start to. It, it's exciting, but then that leads to the to the what I would call the awakened stage of life, which is life happens through me, and, and it takes and, and, and for me, yeah, and for me, and mm-hmm. so that that what that allows is like, oh, life's a flow. So it's not even happening from this body; it's actually going beyond mm-hmm. to the conscious level. It's coming through me, and it's effortless. And that does take time, sure, because we're we're deconstructing or we're de. The word is, I mean, like what Jesus says: you got to become like a child again, mm-hmm. because it's like what what did what quality does a child have? They don't have the story, the limited story. So now you're just ex- coming back to this place of your true self true self and is flowing through you and that does take time to unlearn the illusion yeah yeah because your your um things that function well for you um are usually not your true desires and self that as a child because you learn to say oh if i'm too sensitive i will be walked on or beat up so i'm going to create strength i'm going to create hardness Underlying all that is the real you that is still sensitive yes. and is still desiring something else, and then we do that with all areas of our life. You know, so true. You know, it's like the the person that it ends up being a doctor and goes to you know eight years of ten years of medical school, and you know at the end of his life he says, you know what, I never 
love being a doctor. It's yeah. not what I really wanted. I wanted to be an actor. Mm. I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be a painter. But I was told that I could never earn a living doing that or oh. I would never be accepted if I did that. And that is the poverty mindset. That's the poverty mindset. It's Even the, though it's a you've been successful and made a lot of money. Totally. Because you thought... There was a sense of limitation. I can't do that right. because how will I make it? And Because if I do that, then I will not have everything that I want. Totally. And so you I find out you don't, you got the things you want and then you know you didn't ever want enough. Totally. So, so, and, and, and so it's a belief that if you pursue your desires, you will not survive, but that's the opposite. It's yeah. The, yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. Um, let's wrap it up. What, how can people, if they can, people still jump in on that, on that uh, Facebook group if they want to. Totally. Yeah. If they just go to Facebook, you can do a search for um, uprooting. The title of it is uprooting from the poverty mindset. It's actually a, a group within my, my coaching page um, mm-hmm. on Facebook, which is called free to love coaching. But you can just, you can just do a search for uprooting from the poverty mindset and request to join. There's just a few questions you answer to make sure, you know, people that are in there are in there for the reason, the right reason that corresponds to the group. And uh, yeah, you just request to join. People can jump in and, and, and your main website is? It's just my name, jamaljavanji.com. And, and that's kind of a hub. And you can, people can scroll to the bottom, put their email address in there to subscribe to a newsletter. And I'm going to be doing programs and things later this year that will help people um, uproot from the poverty mindset. But the Facebook group, we, what we do in there is just it's a dialogue. So, you know, we do like a live uh, teaching every week. And then we're going to be doing bringing other folks in there to contribute other things in there. So it's an ongoing conversation for folks to to un, to just start with the concept the conceptual level of unpacking yeah. uprooting uh, these mindsets. So uh, I think it is I, I'm really excited about it. I think it's beneficial. Great. Great. Yeah. And people want to get your book. It's called Living for a Living. That's right. Go to Amazon, find that. You can, now you have your own podcast too, right? I do. I have my own podcast called uh, uh, The Love Cast with Jamal and uh, just weekly conversations. I have my wife on there a lot and do some interviews on there as well. So yeah, it's awesome. fun. Well, thank you for thank you for your work, your experience, your background, and, and most of all, your vulnerability. You said something earlier that's that was um, vulnerability is what it is where your power it's is. where your power is. I believe that. That's what I built this podcast on. I try to do that the best I can, but but I just want to encourage you to keep doing it because you do do it well. Thank you so much. And, and I, I would say the same to you. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you having me on. And sure. thank you for the work that you do mm-hmm. and for creating this platform to have these conversations. It's so awesome. needed. All right, Jamal. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.